Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got Dan Watkins, Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, John Farthing, and I'm Hazel Burton. Is everybody well? Yes, yeah, yes, right. very good. Yes, that was emphatically yes. <laughs> I'm very excited. Doctor Who starts tonight in Ooh. this time. Yeah, so we're going to be chatting. Well, I say we. I don't know anything about Doctor Who, so you guys are going to be chatting about that a little later on. Have you ever seen Doctor Who? I saw the the Christmas one uh, last year, the one with Jodie's entrance. <laughs> that started really wrong. <laughs> that 30 seconds in started already. Oh dear. It's all downhill from here. Uh, yes, yeah, so we're going to be talking about Doctor Who. Also on this episode, we're going to be talking about some new recommendations. And third time lucky, I have a new quiz for everybody. I'm sure it's going to go seamlessly right. <laughs> I'm ready to win and defeat John again. Yes, um, so it's a guess the quote challenge, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. I'll explain at the time. But uh, yeah, let's start the show. Genuinely, I was so angry after the last quiz. I went on the internet to prove that Daniel was wrong and you were wrong and the Starbucks Cup isn't all over Fight Club. And It is. And, <laughs> it is yeah, you're, both, you're both entirely right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So no one wins Hazel for the night? No. <laughs> Damn, we should open that up again. <laughs> Hazel goes on Wikipedia and it's the edge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so recommendations time. Who wants to chime in first with what they've been up to recently? Since our last recording, I did see Hamilton again, so n- needless to say, no. but I, I know no. I won't I won't recommend it again. Um, You're going to New York in a couple of weeks, aren't you? I, I am at time of recording. Um, are you going to see Hamilton in New York? I cannot afford that, no. Um, like two grand, isn't it? To yeah, there? yeah, for the cheap seats. I'd rather see Springsteen on Broadway, Ooh, I think, that but that's impossible. It's coming on Netflixer. Is it? Netflixer bought it, yeah. $2,000 to see that show. Yeah, but uh, my actual recommendation was recommended to me by improviser and friend of the prod podcast, Matt Bratton. Podcast. But yeah, he's yeah. a prodder. Um, yeah, friend of the podcast, Matt Bratton, who uh, told me to go and see an installation at the Tate Modern in London called The Clock, which is by an artist called Christian Markley. And what he and his studio have done over the past three years is find thousands and thousands of film clips that reference the passing of time and have created a 24-hour video that syncs up with real time. And it's completely absorbing and brilliant to watch. We went in thinking, we'll pop in, see what it's like, give it a couple of minutes, and ended up watching it for an hour. It goes from Sherlock Holmes checking his watch in a restaurant to Hayden Christensen on top of Big Ben and Jumper to Atticus Finch putting Scout to bed and talking about his pocket watch. And So you can see the time in each of those. Yeah. There might be a grandfather clock in the background or there's an alarm clock on a bedside table or it's the nine o'clock news. Is the time arranged chronologically? Yes. So if you go go and watch it at 2pm, you'll see the 2pm bits. Real time. Brilliant. Real time. We saw 8.30pm to 9.30pm, but there are certain nights where they run it throughout the night so you can watch Mm. all 24 hours. Wouldn't that be great if you could have that on your your Apple Watch? And just bring it up and then check the time. (laughs) That'd be great. Yeah, Mm. but it's incredible. And if you're in London before the 20th of January 2019, it's on at the Tate Modern until then. 
and no matter what time of day you go and see it, you're going to see something different. It's really, really mm-hmm. clever. One for the film lovers and the art lovers. Oh, That's wow. worth a point because I thought the Tate Modern should at six because I was going to go to that last week and I thought, oh, it should at six. It's on now seven, so I can't go. But then yeah. I realised my mistake. Yeah, at <laughs> 10 p.m. on a Friday and Saturday. Okay. So they made 24 hours of it, but they must know hardly anyone's going to see the stuff at like 2 a.m. Yeah, I guess it probably depends where it's displayed. It might not be intended for gallery use eventually. Maybe they'll put it online or mm. DVD, something like that. Mm. Yeah, I would buy a 24-hour stream of it <laughs> uh, just to yeah. have it on in the background on the wall of your house. Yeah, instead of a clock. Yeah, because you never wonder what time it is when you're watching it because you know exactly what time it is all the time. <laughs> it's, it's Yeah, it's brilliant. So did you recognise the clips? Were they fairly well-known things? Uh, some of them I did. There were lots of older films, silent films, 30s and 40s dramas. There are more modern things in there as well. In the bit that we saw, there were a fair few parts of Hannibal, where Lecter is waiting for somebody to arrive, and then Ray Liotta's there, and he's feeding him dinner, and there's a clock in the background on the wall there. Mm. So it would keep cutting back to different parts of that scene. It's always nice when one that you know comes up, because you go, oh, I know that one. Mm. But it doesn't necessarily matter if you don't know them, because you know they're all real films. Nothing's been staged for the installation. I'd imagine the copyright clearance might be difficult yeah. for, for, say, releasing a stream of it. Yeah, I don't know quite how they manage that even just for this, but whether there are certain films that don't feature in it because they didn't get the rights, mm. or whether because they're cut up into such small clips, they bypass it somehow. I don't know how it works. And there is some rule about if you show less than a certain amount, then it's okay? I imagine they actually just ask permissions. Yeah. And because it was an art piece, mm. it was probably yes. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff's public domain now, especially the old stuff. But yeah, if anybody's in London, any time up till January, the clock. Is there a clip of Battle of Britain in it? Where they go, bandits at two o'clock? <laughs> could be, I didn't see two o'clock. It's handy because Big Ben's off at the minute, isn't it? Yeah. Off. It's off, yeah. <laughs> well, they changed the battery on it. <laughs> Very big battery. Essentially, I think they are actually. Yeah, yeah. for about a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's next? That was a great recommendation. I'm excited about that. Mm. Mine is completely skew with and miles away from that. I recently watched a documentary called The Unbookables. Unbookables? Unbookables. You can't book them. It's, uh, it's produced by uh, stand-up legend Doug Stanhope, who's a brilliant American comedian. And it's essentially... So uh, his name's almost stand-up. Yes, I suppose it is. But Hope instead of... Uh, stand- it's nothing like stand-up. Thanks Doug Stanhope. Those of us that have done stand-up, we know there's no hope involved. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much the theme of the documentary. It's a road trip. And Doug Stanhope puts four of the country's most controversial comedians in a small camper van and sends them on tour of small town America. The four guys, and one woman who turns up later on, are probably some of the most unsavoury people you'll ever meet in your entire life. There are no redeeming features about these people. They are, they are monsters. But yet, you really sympathise with them as they go on this car crash of a journey. You have a disabled alcoholic, uh, a guy who's convinced he's Beelzebub, and does stand up as Beelzebub, and two other characters. Uh, um, and they, yeah, they go around all the hick towns of America having bottles thrown at them and doing this most controversial stand-up you've ever heard. It's nauseating, it's annoying, it's prejudice, it's racist in parts, but it's utterly compelling and I highly recommend you watch it. Mm. Mm. So are these real comedians? Are They, they are real people. Yeah, real real people. Com- it's a real documentary, although at times it feels so out there that you think mm. this must be improvised or it must be scripted, but it's not. Yeah. So they're not comedians where the character on stage is controversial that's what they're actually like they're, 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 they well. are very much like that they're, they're stand-ups who like to push boundaries and really push them 
like based on your experience, is it accurate as well? Uh, yes, it's fairly accurate for those kind of people. Yeah, I mean, they're just uh, there are so many bodily fluids and awful tricks done on each other and fighting and uh, fights with the audience, fights with themselves. Oh. The poor crippled alcoholic guy is constantly falling over and breaking his face. He has to have like two litres of vodka before he can even get on stage. It's sad, but uplifting at the same time. You just think, thank God that's not me. When were they filming Spontaneous Rex? Because we didn't realise there was any cameras. (laughs) (laughs) You can find it on Netflix uh, or online in other places if you're desperate to find out. But I highly recommend it. Hmm. Have you seen Netflix now has split its film and TV on the app? No. Which just serves to show you how shitty Netflix's film offerings are now. But in fairness, their TV stuff is pretty fantastic yeah, yeah, and great stuff. value. I'm now seven episodes into Next Generation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I've just watched the one where they're at the naked sex orgy planet mm-hmm. and everybody wants to hug each other. Is that the one where Wesley steps on the grass? That is correct. Okay. <laughs> and that's not a euphemism. <laughs> Do you know the producers of Next Generation got an angry letter from Cubby Broccoli's company who owns the rights to 007 mm. for him using the name Q as one of the baddies in it? That's ridiculous. They didn't actually sue him, but they sent him a nasty letter saying, it's not fair, we've got Q. Why have you chosen Q? Choose a different letter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they then wrote to supermarkets, um, theme park attractions, we hear you've got a Q. Snooker halls up and down the country, got <laughs> cease and desists. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop now. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so my recommendation is a movie called Hotel Artemis. Has anyone heard of that? Yep. Heard of it, yes. Yesterday, because you told me about it. <laughs> it's <laughs> okay. got Dave Batista in it. It does, yeah. yeah. It's a futuristic sci-fi thriller with a pretty fantastic cast, really. It's set in Riot Torn LA in 2028. And we watch as a heist led by Sterling K. Brown, who's in a TV series called This Is Us. And he's great in that. Uh, But the heist goes badly wrong, and they have to take his wounded brother to Hotel Artemis, which is a 13-storey, members-only hotel that offers a safe place and medical attention for criminals. It's run by an old nurse, Jodie Foster, with David Bautista as a bodyguard, and it already hosts other criminals, such as an arms dealer and a French assassin. Foster's the star of the piece. She has to decide whether or not to let in and heal an injured cop. Then Jeff Goldblum turns up, the crime boss who owns the place, along with his son Zachary Quinto, and a group of heavies who get increasingly frustrated being forced to wait in the entrance cage. Its strength by far is the cast, mm-hmm. but it's a first feature film from the director, Drew Pierce, who worked on the screenplay for Iron Man 3, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, and Lego Avengers. But I thought his inexperience as a director shows. It feels just a bit too much like TV rather than a movie. Everything's a bit flat, and not enough close-ups. It has a few good moments, such as the dilemma on whether to heal a cop who knew the nurse's dead son, because generally they wouldn't treat cops because there's only criminals inside. Best sequence is a fight in a corridor, which looks a bit like the Daredevil fight in season one. A good extended fight sequence. But that just feels like a different director was brought in to do it. I was wondering whether you'd interrupt to say, oh, isn't that the idea from John Wick about the hotel? Yeah, because that's a hotel for assassins, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. So it's almost exactly the same idea as John Wick, where... Mm there's this sort of safe place that people can go and be healed. And this was like a year or two afterwards, and you just think, why make something with the same idea? I I have to admit, I got a little bit confused. I thought it might be bad times at the El Royale when I saw it kind of come out. It's all all set in a hotel, isn't it? And that one is set in a hotel for one night where all these strange gentlemen and gentle ladies appear for the night. It's actually just a very deep cover 
anti-hotel marketing campaign by Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Hotels are for criminals yeah. and assassins yeah. and bad good people happens. in Let's a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird seeing Jodie Foster again because I, I kind of had the feeling I hadn't seen her in anything for years. She's directed mainly, I think, hasn't she? Oh, yeah, she did the true. Black Mirror episode with she the. Uh-huh. The last movie seems to be Elysium, the Neil Blomkamp movie with Matt Damon, <sighs> which wasn't very good at all, which is about five years it was ago. Awful. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping this like cool cultish film. But it wasn't that, and it wasn't like a, a great action film either. I think I would give it six movie stars slumming it in a TV special out of ten. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum can't save it. No, well, he's still Jeff Goldblum, like he always is. Mm-hmm. Has he got an album out? Have I dreamt that in some kind of magical yeah, he land? Has, he has really? a jazz album out, <laughs> and he wow. appeared at St Pancras Station and mm-hmm. performed songs from it on the piano they have there. I know, I was gutted because I practically live in that station now, and it was the one time I wasn't there. I was gutted. I have a recommendation. I'm going to caveat this recommendation. By saying it's not a recommendation. No, by, by <laughs> saying my, recommendations. my girlfriend thought it was one of the worst films she's ever seen. So it's going to be a divisive recommendation, I think. So since we last recorded, I've been in America most of the time, um, floating around various bits of California. And one of the places I really wanted to go and see was the Alamo Draft House in San Francisco. It's a beautiful 1916 theatre that they've completely restored and they've taken every other row of seats out and put tables in and they bring food and beer and drinks to you during the film. So you've got a little menu and you write what you want, a bit of paper, and these guys in black who are like fucking ninjas run, grab the bit of paper, and then two minutes later, a pint of beer appears on the table in front of you or the, the biggest ball of butter popcorn you have ever seen. And it also contains a library of 125,000 classic films on VHS from some collections they bought as video shops closed down. Is that in case you get bored during the film? Possibly, yes, yeah. Uh, excellent bar as well and some old school retro arcade games. So there's Defender in there and Galaxians. It's basically nerd manner. So your recommendation is to go to this place? Regular listeners will know I like a bit of Nicolas Cage. And when you go and see a Nicolas Cage film at the Alamo Draft House to get you in the mood, the warm-up is a supercut of Nicolas Cage's best acting moments. When you say best. Be- yeah. <laughs> Cagiest. Most enthusiastic. Yes. There was an article in The Guardian where it said, is Nicolas Cage the best actor since Marlon Brando? And there's a rule of thumb in journalism that if a headline is a question, the answer is no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we went to see a film called Mandy. And it's an amazing film. It's a throwback to proper 70s exploitation and pulp cinema. It's delirious. It's psychedelic. You get to see Ken Barlow's son's penis. So Nicolas Cage lives with Andrea Weisbrough. It's set in the 1980s. I think he's a lumberjack and she's a writer. Is he okay? (laughs) He's not okay, no. One day, Andrea Weisberg goes out for a walk and she meets Linus Roach, who is the head of, like, a cult and can somehow worship demon bikers. They kidnap Andrea Weisberg, do horrible things to her, and Nicolas Cage isn't happy. That's the first hour. The second hour is Nicolas Cage's revenge. It sounds like Death Wish. Imagine Death Wish on acid. It's just so trippy. The, the music score is sort of avant-garde music, all lots of special visual effects all the time. It goes into some kind of weird fantasy world in the last third. You're never quite sure whether this is really happening or whether Nicolas Cage is just 
completely flipped. If you want a 10-minute sequence of Nicolas Cage in his tighty whities having realised what's happened to his wife, screaming while drinking a bottle of vodka and pouring it over himself, this is the film for you. You know what I just did then as my hazel defence mechanism kind of kicked in? I pictured Nicolas Cage <laughs> in his tighty whities and then the other side of my brain pictured Chris Hemsworth in his tighty whities <laughs> and everything was right with the world again. <laughs> my brain is awesome. <laughs> That's another item off the podcast checklist. Mm-hmm. Hemsworth yes. mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> Nicolas Cage fighting a demon while snorting cocaine off his giant sword is another <laughs> highlight. See it in a cinema, it's a real sensory experience. I'm not sure if it will work as well at home, but it was released in America at the cinema and on home viewing at the same time. Less released than escaped. Yes, but it's done so well, they've extended the cinema run of it. So the idea was it would just be in cinemas for a week as more as an advert for the DVD than anything else. But it's run and run for weeks over there and it's coming out over here, I think, next month. So it's a recommendation, but only if you like gonzo exploitation madness, which I do, your tolerance may vary. Hazel, what you got? Yeah, I'd like to talk about something that I think probably every person in the UK has seen. So this might be a recommendation for our international listeners. It's Bodyguard. I knew you were yeah. going to say that. <laughs> I have thoughts. I have thoughts. I haven't watched it. I'm not going to spoil it, don't worry. It's one of the most watched TV programmes to be released in the last 10 years like 10 million on the first week. It stars Richard Madden, former King Rob from Game of Thrones, as the bodyguard. Is he still on your list of 10 or he He's got bumped still, off, didn't he, for someone else? No, he replaced his dad, actually, Sean <laughs> Bean. Yeah. yeah. Right. I finally knocked Sean Bean off. I okay. thought, you, you didn't picture Hemsworth <laughs> going up to him and going, the Hemsworth send their regards. <laughs> it is Tighty Whitey's. Now she is. <laughs> <laughs> what was I talking about? <laughs> So Richard Madden and Keely Hawes stars as the Home Secretary. It's a thriller and all starts out with this train attack where a woman is found with a bomb strapped to her chest. Richard Madden spots something suspicious and finds this woman in the loo having just been strapped into her vest by her husband. What sort of vest was it? It's a bomb. B-O-M-B. <laughs> a bomb. Not a bomb vest. vest. <laughs> Not a bomb vest. Which one? Shows your bottom off here. <laughs> That kind of plot wouldn't go amiss in a James Bond movie, but it's really different because David Budd himself is racked by uncertainty and he admits he's absolutely terrified, but he sticks there, he talks to her, he actually covers her so that she can't be taken out by a sniper. And throughout the rest of the series, there's certain kind of traditional things that are in a thriller, like the two main characters developing a relationship, but then it throws it all off course again. And it's the first TV show in a while where I could not wait for the next episode. I really couldn't. I might feel a little bit disappointed by the last episode, and I know that some of you are as well. But overall, it's been an absolutely standout series for me. I think the action sequences were really, really good, really, really tense. They really kept you gripped. Don't recommend watching the first episode on a train like I did. (laughs) (laughs) I got on a train very shortly afterwards, which is not good. You did have a bomb strapped to you, though, so it was... uh... (laughs) (laughs) No. For the record, no, I did not. For anyone who's listening. Yeah, it's been nice that there's been a show that's come out week after week 
where you've got to wait for the next episode and you can talk about it with people in between the episodes rather than it all being released at once. There's quite a few of the streaming services now, though. Some of their shows are weekly rather than all in one. I must admit, mm-hmm. it is kind of frustrating when you do want to watch it and mm-hmm. you can't. I think Amazon have started doing that, haven't they? Because they don't want people subscribing for the free month and then cancelling. I think when Netflix do it over here, it's more of a American show that they've got the rights to mm-hmm. with The Good Place. They're putting it on weekly and saying we'd better call Saul because if they wait to the end, then everybody will just download it. Yeah. yeah. I'm also really grateful that The Good Place is back as well. I watched oh, yeah. the second episode of the third series uh, this morning. Did you see the um, the, magazine. The, the magazine cover? Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. This is covered in Covered in Hemsworth. Oh, that's an image. And Chris Hemsworthless apparently is the fourth brother. There's a secret fourth Hemsworth. Oh, really? According to the world of uh, a good place. But yeah, I really enjoyed Bodyguard. Watched it all. Liked the twists and turns, liked the drama, liked the tension of it. Didn't have a problem with the ending. Endings are difficult, especially when the tension and the drama's been so high and so intense. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wrapping it up is always going to be disappointing on some level, and I'd kind of readied myself for that, so it was fine. They're trying to have like three reveals mm. all close together and some contradicting each other, yeah. and that didn't help. Yeah, I feel like they kind of ran out of time to think about one of the reveals. It just came out very, very quickly. The very, mm. very last one didn't make mm. sense logically to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, I had a problem with the whole last episode. Like, if you watch a film and then when you're having a beer afterwards or you, you start thinking about it that night and go, hang on, that made no sense. That's ridiculous. That's fine. As long as you're enjoying it as it happens. But if, as you're watching it for the first time, you're thinking, oh, come on, it loses you a little bit. And there was weird stuff like a relationship that develops very, very quickly, like within mm-hmm. two or three episodes. But also just generally within that relationship, you weren't quite sure who was leading, who was, where the power I think that was. was. Good. I think that was deliberate. Yeah, I think mm. it's deliberate because it then got thrown off course. Uh, it was the, the guy who made Line of Duty, isn't it? Yeah. Jed Mercurio. Jed Mercurio, yeah. He was making people go into a kind of false sense of security with some kind of traditional things that you get in a thriller film, mm. like the two main characters getting together, the start of the train. And then it's like, oh, it's actually completely different now. Just allow yourself to get immersed into a cracking new TV show. Mm. It's on BBC iPlayer. Can I give a quick recommendation for our American audience? Are they uh, forgiven you yet? <laughs> no, the, the Americans love me. It's the Australians. Mm. You did say something about America. Did I really? Oh, <laughs> that explains the... Uh... Something about nobody would miss California, I think. <laughs> no, I've just spent two and a half weeks in California. I enjoyed it very much. They are all lovely people, apart from the people who hang around Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco after dark. They're less lovely. It is running till the end of October, so you may not have an awful lot of time left but I went to the Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights and it was the most fun I've had in a long time. This is where they redress the theme park they, for Halloween, isn't they, it? They don't just redress the theme park. They build new attractions like haunted mazes in some of the sound stages. So this year the highlights were Stranger Things and I also really enjoyed Poltergeist. The production values on it were just absolutely amazing. The whole park's been taken over, so there's monsters running around and everything. And then you go into these mazes, and it's like going into an episode of the TV series or the film. So Stranger Things was the first season of Stranger Things, so you walk through the forest, and then you go through the house, the laboratory, the upside-down world. And as you're going through, you don't know which direction you're going in next, so there's actually like little maze bits in between. 
and it's just populated with special effects and actors whose job is to scare the shit out of you. You'll go on a dark corridor and suddenly a demigorgon will be sort of an inch in front of you, jumping at you, spitting in your face. <laughs> Dan does not look like this is his idea of fun. Yeah, Halloween 4, uh, being chased by Michael Myers with his knife. Was it? Was it uh, <laughs> Dan, Dan is nodding. No, um, thank you. <laughs> the poltergeist one was very, very close to the film. So you go around the house of poltergeist, you've got the tree crashing through the window, you've got the guy scratching his face off in the sink clown trying to grab you from underneath a bed as you walk through a bedroom and towards... is it worse because you know what to expect from under the bed uh, a little bit i mean louise had never seen poltergeist so she had no idea what's happening and she was terrified there's a bit at the end where you go into the light and you go down this long tunnel with the music playing and strobe lights and everything and then suddenly as you get to the end this six foot tall skull just crashes down in front of you the screaming noise and i've never seen anyone jump as high as louise did when that happened <laughs> she's not very tall to start with. <laughs> uh there's the walking dead which is there all year round as well so you get to walk around the hospital honorable mention for herschel oh yes r.i.p herschel mm. that's sad to hear this morning oh the guy that plays herschel in the walking dead has died just after filming a scene for the next series hmm Intriguing. Yeah, uh, him, Shane, and Sonika Martin-Green are all coming back. Presumably, I'm guessing, as some sort of dying Rick montage of memories. But yeah, uh, if you're in America, if you're anywhere near, go to the Halloween Horror Nights. It's in LA and it's also in Orlando. If your idea of fun is going on the backstage tour that they do, but halfway through, the tram breaks down and you have to get out. As you get off the tram, people run towards you with chainsaws. <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's, the, it's the night for you. I think Dan's just passed out. <laughs> <laughs> so Doctor Who is returning to our screens this Yay! very evening as we record. <sighs> Um, So what are people's expectations, hopes, dreams for this new series starring Jodie Whittaker? I want it to go back to being fun, which I think it looks like it will be doing. I think Stephen Moffat's overly elaborate plotting, sort of the series arcs that don't make a lot of sense at the end. felt like it had got caught up in its own mythology a little bit. I just want to see some fun adventures. And also uh, a West Yorkshire Doctor Who, which I'm very, very happy about. (laughs) Capaldi, it's only really in that third season they finally seem to get into his groove to any extent. He was served by poor stories that weren't as good as he was. So I'm hoping she can get into the character much faster. I think that would be good. Chris Chimnall, though, is the new showrunner, and he's responsible for some not great Mm -hmm. episodes. And Broadchurch, he's showrunner on, isn't he? Mm -hmm. But... uh, Early word on episode one is very, very good. I've mm. been listening to the Pilot TV podcast and they have all enjoyed it very much. You're listening and to another podcast? Yes, I am. I'm cheating on us. <laughs> and by the sounds of it, Jodie Whittaker wins you over as the Doctor within the first five minutes. Mm. And right from the start, she is the Doctor. Mm. So I am excited to see how it goes. I kind of saw the idea of casting her as a woman as unnecessary. It didn't seem like it needed to do that. But I still hope now it is that she just makes a great job of it. What I'm expecting to see tonight is the fact that he is now as she is brushed over in 30 seconds flat. It isn't really addressed rather than you know, yeah. a scene of her going around the TARDIS choosing a bra perhaps yeah. or something. I'm sure that they'll gloss over it and make it 
the most unimportant thing about the new series yeah. and much uh-huh. more about the characters. Yeah. I think it is going to be a lot lighter. Mm-hmm. Even though I really enjoyed the sort of dark, sad side of the Time Lord history, I think it's about time we had some gags again and a bit of yeah. lightness and a bit of fun. I'm expecting the first episode to be light on monster. I don't think it's going to be a very deep story because you've got a lot of new characters to introduce. Yeah. Like, We're not allowed to call them assistants, are we? The companions? Well, or the TARDIS crew. The TARDIS the crew. Call them. I never called them assistants. They were assistants years and years ago, and then companions was mm-hmm. more yes. common. No, it's team. I've heard a report that Bradley Walsh is actually very good. Yeah. Yes, I've heard that too. I went yuck Bradley Walsh, but then I thought I went yuck Billy Piper, and I went yuck Catherine Tate, and I've been proven wrong. And it's very rare I'm wrong. <laughs> That's three times. <laughs> How's Black Panther doing at the box office at the moment, John? I I I I have thoughts on Black Panther. I don't think it's going to win the Oscars <laughs> now because I think Black Klansman's going to win the Black Panther Oscars. Ah, okay. And then they, but they still won't appear racist. Yeah. Hmm. There's been a big thing about it being like a hero of color and a film that people of color can get behind and everything, and that was its momentum. Black Klansman has now come out, which is a film that deals with this, but it's also a more traditionally Oscar-friendly film, and I think that might steal its thunder a little bit. I'm also hoping that Jodie's tenure as the Doctor does not feature ever the Daleks or the Cybermen, Mm. even though I love them. Mm -hmm. It'd be nice now to move away permanently from them. They're less scary if you see them too often, I think. That's been the problem with using Daleks. There's like a contractual the, thing with the Daleks. They don't own the Daleks. No, the Terry BBC. Nation does. Terry Nation's estate, I think it is now, licenses the Daleks back to the BBC. And one of the provisos is that the Daleks are used every season so that they get some Dalek cash, presumably. Dalek cash. Yeah. Same as K9, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's owned by someone else, the rights to K9. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll be okay with Cybermen because they were just at the end of the last Capaldi series. There was a whole arc mm. on a planet full of Cybermen. Mm. And that's what caused Capaldi to start regenerating. Pearl Mackey's character, she became a Cyberman. She did, But she was a nice one. And that's how she died. Yes. Mm. So I think we'll be okay with Cybermen this series. I'd like her not to fall in love with her companions and have to be torn away by some universe-wrenching events for them to be able to leave her. I don't think you're going to get any of that at all. Yeah. I think we're going to get quite a childish character. Mm Mm-hmm carrying on in the uh, in the Matt Smith kind of vein that the, the childlike wonder of yeah. the ancient character comes out. Yeah, the way I've read the comparison to Matt Smith is it's Matt Smith's Doctor, but without the whimsy. So instead mm-hmm. of her wanting fish fingers and custard after the regeneration, she wants a full English. Uh-huh. Yeah. So light-hearted, but not weird and quirky. Nice and northern. Yeah. What do you think of the, uh, the costume? I was like, I think she looks like a sexy mock. <laughs> well, the costume is inspired by Mork and also is it? Uh, Tom Baker. Uh, there's bits the, of Tom well, the Baker motif. Yeah, main motif. Well. Yeah, uh, this, uh, the braces are inspired isn't it, by Mork. Isn't it Tom Baker's scarf colours? Is or yeah, yeah. Or similar to those. And there's hints of the doctors in there apparently as well. I haven't studied it up mm. close. Yeah, they're really branching out. They're set an episode in Sheffield. Ooh, this whole series centres around Sheffield. Oh, it becomes is an still shot in Wales. It's an important part. But it, Sheffield becomes an important point in time and space. For the first uh, time in its history. <laughs> Same as they did for Wales. <laughs> it is where the UK Space Centre is. Is it really? Yeah. The museum. They'll do anything to leave, won't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
And we'll let you know in two episodes' time what we thought when the show started. We're all very excited. Cool. So it's time for my film quote challenge. We have two teams facing this challenge. We have Dan and Ian on one team. Woo! <laughs> and we have Peter and John on the opposing team. Hey. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So, um, <laughs> what that was. <laughs> so, is the first quote, please, please let me out. I won't tell anybody. And that's uh, Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> I've moved his location. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've changed cars. <laughs> you have bought a new car this week, haven't have, you? Yeah. Is this, um, more boot space? <laughs> did you take him out? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I had to give him quite a few pills when I exchanged. Yeah. <laughs> So that he wouldn't make any noise. I just have visions of you forgetting to take him out and there's somebody driving around. <laughs> Plus it's knocking in the boot. Yeah. If you see a black fiesta driving around Newcastle with various signs of, you know, distress, <laughs> you know the reason why. I'm going to go to each team individually and give you a quote from a movie and you must give me the movie name. Within five seconds, right. if you get the movie incorrect, it goes over to the other team to have a chance to answer. Okay. And if you can't answer within five seconds, that what I just said, repeat itself. Are we allowed mm. to confer within our team? Yes, you're allowed to confer and then come to me with a definitive answer. But it has to be within five seconds. That's pretty quick. So there are, there are seven quotes for you to guess. And then you get a bonus point if you can guess the movie from which I have taken the original critics review from. So it's a quote from their review. Guess the movie. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Got you. Yep. Yeah. So there's nine points up for grab for each team. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. Your first quote. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Mm, that's apocalypse now. It is. Mm -hmm. I'll have what she's having. That's Harry Met Sally. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Godfather. No. Uh, oh. That was an incorrect answer. It goes over to the other team. I don't know. I was, Scarface? I, nope. I can't accept The Godfather because it was Godfather Part 2. Oh, <laughs> you see, I thought it was The Godfather, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, she's strict, isn't she? <laughs> also, you give them a point for having met Sally, and it's actually when, when, when having met Sally. Oh, come on. Sally. Stop it. <laughs> calm down. Right. Have fun storming the castle. Three, two, Ready one. Ready player one. Nope, incorrect. Over to the other team. Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Nope, it's the Princess Bride. Ah, uh, this. <laughs> okay, so you've got two at the moment, Dan and Ian. Okay, are we still going? Ice to see you. That would be Batman and Robin. It's... Ice to see you. <laughs> You're not sending me to the cooler. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. <laughs> Penultimate quote. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. That would be Avengers Assemble or The Avengers if you're in America. Correct. Okay, last movie quote. No nukes, no nukes. That'll be another Vietnam film. Four, we go three, with Platoon. Two. Schindler's List. <laughs> <laughs> no nukes. <laughs> massive, massive incorrect. Over it goes. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure, no. Five, four, three. Let's two. Nope. Born on the 4th of July. Nope. Do you remember we got into a little bit of a nerd debate over one particular film, John? Oh, was it Fight Club? It was, no, no, it was, um, uh, we actually battled it out in court. 
Oh, Armageddon. 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 Ah. When Steve Buscemi goes, no nukes, no nukes. Okay, so are you ready for your critics challenge? On, then. Okay. Listen carefully. Is it a low or low of the movie? In your movie quotes challenge, you got four out of seven. You now have a chance to make four into six with the guess the quittics. Quittics? Quittics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Albert Foot. Do you know what? I was thinking about Quidditch. Uh, anyway. As we often do. <laughs> yes. As, as Harry Potter nerds do. Was that Chris Hellsworth tickling your <laughs> right. snitch? Writing <laughs> 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 a broom, yeah. Wow. <laughs> tickling my snitch. <laughs> four into six is... um. <laughs> How I hope to spend my Friday evenings. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Listen carefully. Um, it's a review of a movie. Guess the movie. It's one of those Hollywood action roles where the hero's shirt is ripped off in the first reel so you can see how much time he's been spending at the gym. Without the deputy chief and all that he represents, this would have been a more than passable thriller. With him, it's a mess. And that's a shame because the film does contain superior special effects, impressive stunt work, and good performances. I'm, I'm, uh, With a deputy chief in it. Uh, what, uh, what, what, what's the um, thingy job in Die Hard? Is he a deputy chief? And I get no, to... I don't think so, because be, it wouldn't be... That Die Hard's not a mess. No. But, but it's a critic's review. It's a it? critic's yeah. review. Yeah. So yeah. don't be put off or fooled by... If we're going to have to guess, I'd guess Die Hard. Mm, um... Is the idea that it's one of the quotes from the no. previous question? So it could just be, it any, could be film. any film. Okay, sorry. Okay. Somebody who gets their shirt off you know, early John on. John McClane sort of most, mostly wears a vest. Kind of undressed, though. Mm, that's the only one I can think of. Yeah, comes to mind. To push, yeah. Um, yeah. Go with it. Go with that. Is it Die Hard? I'm so glad you did. It is Die Hard. Yay! <laughs> I was going to go for Birth of a Nation, so I'm pleased that I didn't. <laughs> Okay, so after that round, Dan and Ian, the score to beat is six out of nine. nine. Bad, Dan, well, well done. done. Yay. Right, over to John and Peter. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Have they got any <laughs> bonus points <laughs> Have they stolen any bonus points for us yet? Yeah. They did not steal a uh, one. No, oh, no, so you could steal your final score may not mm. be six. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Okay. Number one, you can't handle the truth. A few good men. Correct. A boy's best friend is his mother. Psycho. Yep. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Correct. Speak, friend, and also enter. the intro to Star Trek Three: Search for Spock. Nice. Speak, friend, and enter. Five, four, three, two, Dracula. one. No, over to the other side. Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring. Correct. Melon. <laughs> In the Elvish. One ass point. (laughs) I'm a leaf on the wind. (gasps) Five, four, three, two. Horace Gump. Oh, that's nice I guess, but no. Serenity. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Another point stolen. Okay. Mm. We've all got both light and darkness inside us. What matters is the part we choose to act on. That's who we really are. Five, yeah, but which four, one? Three, Jedi. two, last, last Jedi. Jedi. Nope. Over to the other team. Five. Matrix. Four. No, it's not. You should have got this done. Mm. It's Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Oh. 
All right, so no point stolen there. You're currently on three, and this is your last film quote. Can I just inter- intervene to say I am shocked and impressed that you quoted a Harry Potter film there? <laughs> it, I, I liked the quote. I'll give, okay. him, that, I'll give him that one. Okay. <laughs> She's trained for an off-world kick murder squad. Talk about Beauty and the Beast. She's both. Five, four, three, two, <sighs> one. Mm-mm. Could that be Blade Runner 2049? No. I can't give you it. It's the original Blade Runner. Ah. <sighs> Film I've seen so many times. You still shut all over them though, so that's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, you kind of can't win. Because <laughs> yeah. you're on three points and the other team is on eight. So the most you can get is five. We can fix it in the edit. But I can't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a consolation. Okay, here is your critic review. If one of the subplots had been handled cleverly with skill and subtlety, as in a caper movie, it might have added to the film's effect. Instead, it's as if one of the three stooges had wandered into the story. The subsequent events, after the creatures get loose, follow an absolutely standard outline similar in bits and pieces to all earlier films in this genre, from The Lost World and King Kong. Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park 3? If one of the subplots had been handled cleverly with skill and subtlety, as in a caper movie, it might have added to the film's effect. Instead, it's as if one of the three stooges has wandered into the story. How about Jurassic Park? And it's just a bad review of it. And they're talking about Dennis Nedry. Yeah. Go with that. I was going to go for Aliens, but I think Jurassic, let's go for Jurassic Park. Yeah. Jurassic Park is correct. <laughs> yeah. We were also thinking Aliens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was at one point and then changed my mind. <laughs> So after that, congratulations to Dan and Ian. Boo. You have trounced them eight to five. Well trounce, done. Trouncey, trouncey, trouncey. Trouncey, my inner tigger. Trouncey, trouncey, trouncey. Everyone should have an inner tigger. Thank you very much for listening. Remember to check us out on social media at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. And um, the next episode will be cool as well. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have been listening to... The winning team of Dan Watkins and Ian McLaughlin. <laughs> Peter Johnson. The voices in Nicolas Cage's head. <laughs> and I'm Hazel Burson. See you next time. Bye. 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 I heard the bigger Thor film out just so I can say one to three, four, four, please. <laughs> <laughs>